BBCC episode 26, my realization of the day. What if every found footage movie ever made was actually real? That real life actors were getting Truman showed every day as a price for their fame. Or, or, okay, hear me out. Two words, Hollywood clones. Yes, yes, y'all. It's like that, y'all. It's like this. It's like that. And like this, y'all. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. It is your boy, Devon Taylor, a.k.a. Daddy Disco, a.k.a. Cheech Fuzz, the friendly stoner wolf. And we are venturing into one of my absolute favorite under the entire horror umbrella, it's a subgenre that has a lot of lovers, has a lot of haters, just like my ex-wife. Ha <laughs> don't have one of those. <laughs> Ooh, that was a lame one, guys. Sorry, I'm bringing some weird energy here with this intro. But anyways, we are talking found footage horror movies. It's a fairly new subgenre as far as like the entire scope of horror goes. You know, we didn't really start... We didn't get the first one until the 80s, and then we really didn't start getting them until 1999 with the Blair Witch, and then from there on in throughout the 2000s and the 2010s, and they've had their ups and their downs, and people tend to associate them with extra low quality because they're super duper cheap to make, and they will make you lots of money, and there's just so many out there because they're so easy to make, so this subgenre has a little bit of a bad rap, but... All the movies that we are talking about this month, we are challenging that. We already got a little bit of found footage a few months ago with Johnny the Horror Hack. We talked As Above, So Below and Grave Encounters, and we already talked about so many of the things I love about found footage horror movies. But we're going to go even deeper, talking about found footage all month long. We have some great guests coming on the show, like Joe and Trace, the horror queers. Absolutely love them and their podcast. And we have some great movies to talk about as well. We have one episode where we will be dissecting the entire Paranormal Activity series in one episode. Six movies, two guests, one episode. It's going to be huge. I cannot wait. I'm super excited about that. So let's go ahead and get into this thing with our first guest, who not only has great taste in movies, but also great taste in the treats that she makes for them. But first, how about a treat for daddy, huh? Go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star iTunes review, five-star iTunes review, five-star iTunes review, five-star iTunes review. Hey, go ahead and leave me a five-star iTunes review, would you? And we're back. It is the Blade Blood Cinema Club, a podcast very high on horror. 
I'm a little extra high on horror today. This is my second recording of the day, but that means I am just like super into it. And I think my guest is super into it as well. Um, she is a wonderful writer. She has written for Nightmare on Film Street, among other places. And that's where I believe where I became aware of you. And she also um, is she is notable for creating recipes that pair with horror movies and all that uh, goody stuff. And of course, you guys know me. I love my munchies and snacks. So we got plenty of that to talk about. And she also just launched a new podcast of her own, The Final Girls Feast. Welcome, Carrie, a.k.a. Witchy Kitchen. Or Vichy, or, or do you say Vichy Vichy Kitchen? The Vichy oh. Kitchen. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's two Vs because I couldn't get the W. So, we yeah, we went old school. <laughs> I love it. Like I always call the witch the vavitch, so I'm, I'm yeah, into it. Exactly. But yeah, I I I long know the struggle of not being able to get the social media handles you want, as I've yeah. changed mine. I don't know how many times, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, very yeah, excited to you are kicking off Found Footage Month for us here on the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. All of November, we are talking found footage, which is debatably one of my favorite subgenres within horror. And we have a great double feature to kick it off with Creep 1 and 2. But before we get into that, we're going to get to know Carrie a little bit more. Um, so to what is your background in horror as far as, um, you know, when you started watching horror movies and then when you started incorporating them into, um, into your culinary escapades? Um, I guess what's my horror background um, I guess like many of us what were like I was a spooky kid like always loved spooky movies and everything um, and like somewhere along the way I started a food blog and it, like at that point because I liked cooking and it was like purely a hobby and just kind of you know keeping track of the stuff I was making um, and started making more and more stuff like inspired by horror movies um, and then I got kind of more serious about it when I was going through like a kind of a tumultuous time in my personal life. And so I really needed something like creative to focus on. Um, so I started watching like a ton more movies, reading more articles, um, and just trying to get more involved in the community. Um, and I guess like around that time is when I started writing for Nightmare on Film Street. Um, yeah, first as like um, news articles and now as a food column. And like you said, starting a podcast. <laughs> so yeah, it became that quarantine cliche. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hey, it's, that's when it is the time to do these things. Like, I exactly. mean, that's whenever I started mine again, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I need something I, to focus on. <laughs> exactly. Like, we had to have something to, you know, mull us over and, like, you know, us personally. But then, you know, I feel like uh, that's as much of my contribution to the world as trying to at least provide a little bit of distraction for people, you know, talking about horror movies. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that's what we got to do around here. Um, and I absolutely love the podcast. Um, listen to the first episode on the Ice Cream Man. So oh, good. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, who does not love Clint Howard? I mean, how can Oh, he's he the best. <laughs> he is literally the best. And then there's, like, inklings of a sequel. So, ooh, who yeah, knows? Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we shall see. So before we get into um, our movies for the discussion today, to dig a little deeper into uh, Carrie's taste in movies, we want to, um, we always ask the guests to bring a couple recommendations to talk about, whether it be like a recent watch or um, just like a hidden gem that they want you guys to know about. So Carrie, would you like to go first? Or you want me to go first? 
I can go because I'm ready to talk about this. I'm kind of excited. Yeah, there we go. Um, um, yeah, like I watched a movie recently that's pretty new on Netflix and it kind of got me thinking about one that I watched a long time ago. So this is kind of like a twofer, I guess. Um, so recently I watched um, What Keeps You Alive. I don't know if you've seen that um, yet. Yes, I have. I, oh, excellent. I really loved it. Um, so yeah, it's basically the story of a lesbian couple that goes to a secluded cabin for their anniversary. Um, and one hasn't been completely honest with the other. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just like becomes kind of chaotic from there. Um, but it got me thinking about, um, like kind of, a, I guess, a genre of movie I really like that's like kind of female villains that you wouldn't really suspect, I guess, mm -hmm. that seem like really sweet and unassuming you know, whether they're like a stalker or a psychopath or something. Um, so I started thinking about, you know, movies I've seen like this, like, you know, In the Rocks, The Cradle, and like single white female and that kind of stuff. Um, but one I saw a long time ago that I really liked um, is a French film called He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not. Mm. And um, it's not one. horror. It's not horror. It's like a psychological thriller, I guess. Um, but it stars um, Audrey Totu, who I guess most people would know from Amelie. And so, you know, as she, as you know, she's like adorable, so pretty, so sweet. Um, and mm -hmm. in this movie, she's the villain. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of Ooh. interesting in that way. And yeah, I hadn't seen, I haven't seen it in a long time. So I was actually thinking to revisit it because I started thinking about it again. I always like a good, um, you know, a character flip from a from an actor you know like because i always think those are the ones that make the best villains you know the the yeah. you know unassuming <laughs> ones and the people you wouldn't typically see in the villain roles yeah. i think that's where you always get um a really good experience and what year was that from is that older like or um, I, like I early 2000s or i think it's it's either the 90s or early 2000s yeah i guess i should have looked this up um yes yeah, from around that era um and like it's another another thing about this movie is it's one and i love when movies do this but like you'll get the first half of the movie from one perspective and then like halfway through it'll jump back to the beginning of events and you get it from another perspective which like totally change everything that happened so it's pretty interesting in that way too yeah okay cool i will definitely <laughs> put that one on my list to check out and uh yeah i've noticed a lot of people have been talking about what keeps you alive lately um i remember that was the first movie that I saw in theaters when I moved to L.A. a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Random, random connection. But, um, but yeah, this that I remember as soon as it was added to Netflix, it started popping up on a bunch of people's lists and people writing new articles about it and and all that good stuff. And um, yeah, and, that's and, when I became aware of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm, that's what I'm always glad for, you know, with different streaming platforms is that they bring attention to, you know, films that wouldn't have gotten otherwise, because obviously everybody didn't get it in theaters and get to see it in theaters like I did. Um, and so I'm glad that, you know, it spread, spread itself around. And of course, you know, with familiar people behind it, like Colin Minahan and, um, you know, super, super interesting, uh, the narrative people have had about that film recently on Twitter, as far as, you know, the, the LGBT, um, elements within it and, around it so it is an interesting one to uh check out for yourself if you guys haven't seen the film and uh draw your own conclusions don't don't look up the twitter uh <laughs> concourse yet look at that after you watch the movie 
Yeah, I'm gonna have to go look up that discourse and see. <laughs> yeah, it was me. Like I'm me, aware of a little bit of it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it it's interesting. It's interesting. Okay. Um, <laughs> so for my two picks, they are both more recent, and I mean one of them's not even a hidden gem, and I'm sure is a movie that people have already seen. And it was a movie I intended to talk about this month, but then somehow didn't work it in, even though it's technically not a found footage film. But that's why I want to include it. So, of course, I have to shout out Sinister, which a lot of people have been talking about lately as it got deemed um, like scientifically, like by your heart rate, um, the scariest film of all time. I don't oh, know if you saw wow. that article, um, but they like monitored people and had them watch like like 50 hours of horror movies or something like that. Or I don't know, something crazy. And I was like, damn, why didn't I get to be a part of this study? And <laughs> they like hooked them up to heart monitors. And it was like by like how your uh, heart rate like elevated, you know, like to measure how scary it is, quote unquote, you know, or like which has it not only had like the highest like average, it also had like the highest spikes for like whenever okay. a scare would happen. So like whenever a certain scare would happen, it would spike. Um, so it was deemed the scariest movie of all time by science, bitch. So, um, <laughs> and it's I, official. It's official. Like, you can't argue with it. And I mean, absolutely love Sinister. It's a top 10 film for me. I've seen it numerous times, and it is definitely an influence to how I write characters into, into like my horror ideas. And I've always appreciated its use of like the Super 8 films for a found footage-esque effect because we get, you know, quite a few of them and it's, you know, they were actually shot on Super 8s for the film and and just because, like, the story revolves around a true crime writer, like, I don't know, somehow that ties into found footage for me as well. So I was going to talk about it more on sometime in this month. I mean, I've emailed uh, Scott Derrickson a few times. If he emails me back, I'm going to squeeze it in. But, you know. <laughs> Haven't gotten that email back yet. So, well, and then, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. You know, you never know what happens around here. So, and then the other movie is very recent. It was uh, just added to Shudder recently. Also, kind of found footage, but not really. So, I wanted to make sure I shouted it out is The Cleansing Hour. Did you check that one out? Oh, I haven't seen that one. No. <laughs> it's a, um, uh, it's a movie about a person that he has a large social media following. He is a quote unquote priest and he has a large social media following because he live streams, uh, performing exorcisms, uh, every week, every week, a new miracle, you know, and they're, and and of course it's, you know, they give this away in the trailer. It's rigged up, you know, like they're faking it and it's like this whole production and it's just him trying to get social media famous. You know, it's kind of murky where his religious allegiance lie and all that stuff. And then, so he's going to do one of his live streams, and of course, there becomes a real possession. And then they have to deal with uh, this um, entity trying to out him for all the lies that he has been spewing. Every lie. And, you know... Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, and so it's not found footage, but a lot of the movie is presented through the live stream that people are watching. And they like kind of go around the world to different people watching the live stream. So it uses that okay, a lot. Okay, that's a cool technique. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So it's like, but they do like cut to just like regular like film scenes like that we're just seeing like as the audience. So it's a it's a combination of both, and I love found footage movies. I love exorcism movies. You put them together. <laughs> It's like the best of both worlds. <laughs> and and the cool thing with this, it's it's a fun exorcism movie. We haven't had a fun exorcist movie like in a minute. They're always so bleak and dour. They're fraught. Yeah. Exactly. It's so yeah, everybody's so serious. It's very intense. And not to say this isn't intense and serious and like, you know, has a lot to say. A lot to say. But um, it's a lot of fun. Just overall, it's a really fun movie. And then even if the narrative gets messy and the themes and all the things it's trying to do don't all work, I respect the audacity of this movie. And um, it deserves some eyeballs. So if you like if you like exorcism movies, but you want it to be fun and them to throw the kitchen sink at it, check out this movie. It is a Shutter original. Oh, that's cool. Well, I love the premise. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, it was it was a good time. Like it's messy, but it's a real good time though. I appreciated <laughs> it. So that would be our recommendations for the episode. So now let's go ahead and get into the movies. <laughs> Surprise Carrie. This live stream is actually pre-recorded, and now you have to watch it because I'm on my way to kill you, but you must receive the instructions to listen <laughs> on how to survive the night. I'm just joking. We are oh talking. My <laughs> I, oh, I, th- I got you there. If you guys saw the ominous lighting of this Zoom call right now. If I was hooked up to the heart rate monitor, it would have spiked. <laughs> so. I know. I saw it in your eyes. I was like, ooh, I got her. I actually got like, her. What's going. happening? <laughs> Uh, man, but that is kind of the loops that these movies throw you through. We are talking Creep 1 and 2, both directed and written by, or directed by Patrick Bryce, written by Mark Duplass and Patrick Bryce. The first one dropped in 2014. Patrick Bryce, this was his directorial debut. He would go on to direct movies such as The Overnight, Creep 2, um, many of the segments in Room 104, which I still have not watched yet which uh, is a HBO series by the Duplass brothers. And um, it's like an anthology series. So I've been meaning to check that out. But um, very talented director, uh, does great work when him and Duplass come together. And people that listen to the podcast know I am a big Mark Duplass fan. So I'm very excited to finally get to talk uh, one of his films on the podcast as we will talk about many Mark Duplass films because he's just, he's amazing. I love anything that he does genre related but then just also in general like he's so fantastic so carrie what got you to uh choose this film well i chose this film because unlike you i'm not a huge found footage fan like there have been movies that i've really enjoyed but for some reason like there's some like there's always something that kind of takes me out of it either like why are they filming this or like the acting's kind of weird like this isn't very natural um but for some reason like these two are, I feel like are just so perfectly done um like I was kind of watching them more critically this time I was like okay there's a couple moments but I was so into it that it didn't bother me at all and also like you said Mark Duplass is amazing like I think his performance in both movies is just like makes the movie like I, yeah. I don't think like a lesser actor could like made this work because like he just walks that line of being like charming and funny and then 
totally creepy that, um, you know, I think if he was like too far one way or the other, it just wouldn't work. It'd be just like too cringy and just like almost unwatchable, but like, he's so funny. Like it just keeps it above that line, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I am 100% on board with you. I wrote an article on Nightmare on Film Street like a couple years ago, and it was like kind of outlining the like the the key components that you need for a good found footage film, and like how you said like one thing you usually criticize is um, why are they filming this? So that is always yeah. <laughs> super important to a found footage film if you can make sense on why they're filming this, and both films definitely achieved that. And then I love this film because. When you're watching found footage films, your performances usually aren't what you're, like, thinking about, you know? Um, there's not a lot of found footage films that are, like, very small and character-driven like this. I mean, there's yeah. there's a few here and there, but they don't do it the way that this film does. And, like, yeah, this film would not work without Mark Duplass. Like, of course, like, his writing behind it, but then also his performance um, of this character and the growth between like the change between the two movies as well that we'll get into mm-hmm. is yeah. is very fascinating it's great to have like two great installments with a of course third one coming at some point in the future we don't know when but it will happen so to give you guys a little background on creep of course we talk spoilers on this podcast so if you have not seen the film creep one and two are are streaming on netflix as of this recording So, if you have not seen the film, make sure you stop this episode, you go watch the films, and then you come back. Actually, stop the episode, get high, watch the films, get high again, (laughs) then come back to the episode. Because that is the the optimal experience. Yeah, if you want the true bloody blunts experience, that's, that's the optimal way to go. I'm on a time bomb for a THC capsule right now, so at any point, I might just get like too high and you're gonna have to host the rest of the episode. Oh, okay. I can handle it. <laughs> I think you can handle it, too. So, um, to give you guys a little more background about Creep, it is it stars um, Mark Duplass and Patrick Bryce. And it stars uh, Patrick Bryce plays Aaron, who is a filmmaker who needs some money. And he responds to a weird Craigslist ad requesting his videography services. And, um, and it's kind of vague about the details. And then, of course, we meet the subject, Joseph, played by Mark Duplass who is just, I mean, out the gate, so awkward and strange. And, like, that's what I love um, about this film is, like, a lot of the horror isn't the actual horror. It's, like, the, like, social anxiety, like, cringe of the whole situation. Like, because you're just watching, you're just like, oh, my gosh, I would just not even be creeped out. I just hate to be Aaron in this situation. Like, when you meet someone that is just has this overly big personality and they kind of attach themselves to you, you know? Yeah, like, there's just, I mean, there's so many people that, like, perfectly innocently are like that, you know? I'm sure I'm like that at some times. I can be totally awkward. Um, But, yeah, like, he's just, like, acting strange. If you're coming there um, and just meeting him, you don't really know what's going on and you don't know if it's dangerous or if it's just a weird person. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you can kind of see the wheels turning in his head. Like, you know, what what's going on here? Oh yeah. <laughs> so. The wheels are always turning. And so the film was inspired by, you know, them two having these like interesting reading weird Craigslist ads and like kind of imagining the scenarios and like how they would go. 
And so they were kind of like inspired by that, but then also just like looking at the relationship between strangers and like how much, how forgiving people will be for the sake of being nice or for the sake of curiosity, you know, and like how much, like, even though it's blatantly weird red flags, you shouldn't be in this scenario, but yet you still are, you know? So yeah, it's super, it's super weird. And so what the thing is, is he is hiring Aaron to make a documentary for um, his son because he apparently has cancer and he's going to die soon. So he wants to make this documentary for his unborn son, which is strange enough as it is one of the most random lies you could think about. (laughs) And, (laughs) and then um, you just kind of watch this as it unfolds. So you have the reason why Aaron is recording. He obviously needs uh, money. And he is also just like kind of intrigued by the stranger. Like you watch Mark Duplass's performance and you just like can't help but to like get sucked in to like, like you said, like you're, you're watching him and you're just like, I like, I can't stop watching. It's the perfect amount of like not too far either, but like he's, he's right there. Yeah. And every time he goes a little far, he kind of dials it back, you know, and it, like Aaron has many chances to leave, you know, and, and doesn't because he just, I don't know, like either gets sucked in further. Um, and that's like really interesting that like the, the whole premise was like them reading Craigslist ads. Um, Cause that's kind of what happens at the beginning of um, too. Sarah's uh-huh. through all these Craigslist ads and she goes to many awkward middle-aged lonely men's houses and they turn out to be just like perfectly fine and lovely they're just they're alone and weird you know <laughs> so like she's had experiences with these type of people before and never anything like sinister so. yeah <laughs> yeah I love how they brought that idea back around for the second one and like how the second one very much like flips and expands upon what's like going on here in this first one like they really laid the groundwork down and then like the way that they elevated it in the sequel is like a very natural progression and yeah, for sure. yeah and so this movie was um they really it wasn't actually like written it didn't have like an actual screenplay it was a kind of a story thing and then they took the mumblecore approach which in horror is sometimes called mumble gore And it's like, basically, you are given your character and the scenario and the circumstances, and then you kind of just improvise off of that and see what happens. And so they would, uh, Mark Duplass said in an interview that there would be 10 to 12 variations of each scene of like some of these like encounters of the specific conversations that they were having and like how they would have went, you know? So it's like, it's kind of crazy to think that what if they would have did like a choose your own adventure, like kind of like cobble together this like whole thing. Like there's like a completely different creep movie sitting around. There's like three different creep movies just sitting around (laughs) in this one movie. So I I know I would love to see the cutting room floor, like all the other variations. Yeah. (laughs) And, and me being a aspiring film director, I'm definitely like attracted to that style of filmmaking. I find it very interesting. And that's kind of the way that I write anyways. I write in ideas and in like okay, building. So you have like an outline. Yeah. Oh, do I have outlines, girl? <laughs> I'm a slut for some outlines, and you don't even know. <laughs> um. But yeah. So it's like I'm very much attracted to the style of filmmaking, and because you know Patrick Bryce and Mark Duplass have this like working relationship together, it works off really well. I'll say it works better in the next film, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. And they have um, that rapport. 
Yeah, yeah. And so in this one, you you're watching this guy, and of course you find out the the son is dead, or there is no son. Um, he doesn't have cancer. Um, we make a phone call to his supposed wife, but it's actually his sister. And it's just like as this movie is unfolding, it just keeps giving you just these like weird, you know, scenarios of like, hey, like okay, like he definitely should have been out of there, but like he's still there anyways. And like, I mean, the it, it sets it. I think the, the the like the bathtub scene sets the the stage so well for this movie, like the 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 tubby scene. It's such a weird scene, like right off the bat, <laughs> and like I. I did want to comment on like what you were saying about it not being like overly scripted um, and what I was saying earlier about like kind of performances in found footage movies like I think that's such a smart way to go about this because like the performances are natural and especially if you're not the one like if you're reacting to the other person your reactions like kind of more like genuine like what is he talking about <laughs> you know I think like you know like Patrick Price's like reactions could be a little bit more like uh <laughs> yeah I don't know what he's on about, but yeah, you're right. Like the, the, oh my goodness, the tummy time scene. And like, if his story is genuine, you know, I think his story is like actually kind of believable until it starts to fall apart. You know, he wants to like create this legacy for his son, but he's so creepy and weird about it. <laughs> I mean, he takes something like, you know, I used to take baths with my babies when they were, you know, tiny and that's like normal, but like, oh my God, he makes it so uncomfortable. <laughs> so Yeah. It's like what I realized between like once we see more in the second film is like he's a very he's a very like prolific yet flawed serial killer because like we find out at the end this isn't his first foray into this. He's done this many times. So then, yeah. yeah, it makes you, like, question, like, why wouldn't he be less weird in trying to sell this idea, you know, that he's well, having yeah. them film on, like. But I think for him, it's, like, pushing the boundaries. Like, how weird can I get before they run, you know? Because I think he can kind of feel like, okay, I'm creeping him out, you know? And then he, like, oh, then he becomes, like, totally charming again. Because there's times in this movie where, like, Aaron is charmed by him. Like, when they mm -hmm. go in there, like, hike in the woods Aaron's like yes I feel so alive I'm gonna yeah. walk in these like miracle waters and like he's totally down for the ride you know yeah so, yeah he has them at times oh yeah <laughs> so. they they bro out pretty hard at, in a couple moments which is really great yeah. and, like a great <laughs> element that I love that they expounded upon like they really take their time before it gets to actual like creepy horror elements like really it's like this like quirky offbeat you know kind of just weird thing going on and then, uh -huh. and then, yeah, and then it just, like, it kind of, like, escalates slowly, and, um, uh, I was going somewhere with this, like, it, it <laughs> escalates in such a, like, natural way, and, um, you're, you're, like, charmed by them, but I'm also, I've met those people, you know, that they, I think, like, I think Joseph, like, genuinely, like, is just unaware of like himself, like, I don't think he's even, like, like, except for the times where he's literally trying to jump scare him, you know? I don't ever think he's like trying to be like, okay, let me see how weird I can get. I feel like he's just genuinely like being himself, but he's like one of those people that like yeah. doesn't know when he well, goes too far. I think you're right in some ways, but there's a moment in the next movie that I don't know could maybe like uh, lend another side. So I'll kind of leave that for then. Cause like, I mm -hmm. think there's a lot in th these movies that are kind of debatable. Like, 
like who is this Angela person she's his sister but why is she like around but not like I don't know we'll, we'll get to that yeah. too but then like there's things and it seems like there's things too that he says that may very well be true there may be some threads running through his bullshit you know <laughs> like he comes up with these wild stories but then there are like some nuggets in there like he talks about his dad you know and so like maybe these things about his dad are true and that's why he's messed up or something but like we never find out for sure but you know I, I, I kind of feel like there's some truth to his madness you know <laughs> yeah I mean it's that's what makes Joseph like so fun because I mean he is so unreliable that you I mean you really never know what he's saying is it true is it not true like it feels true he seems earnest and then yeah. we go even further in that to the second one where he's like going through a existential crisis so then you're like even <laughs> more invested on like oh I really don't know what is genuine or real here and yeah exactly yeah so it's like he and then like the especially like I think like where I guess he like went too far was of like the sharing of uh the the peach fuzz sex fetish scene. Oh my goodness! <laughs> which I like. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's been a couple. It had been a couple years since I rewatched, but like for some reason, I just like didn't remember like how like creepy Mark Duplass is in well, describing I would block that it. Out too, because it's. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty horrendous. <laughs> he describes it in just like the creepiest ASMR ever because like the, the camera's covered up during this conversation. So it's just Mark Duplass talking about, but yet like his, the way he told the story is just like, oh my gosh. And it's like, you know, because throughout the film, he's already sharing weird things. And we were initially told that the peach fudge mask was something from his childhood, but now it's has this other sinister thing in <laughs> Again, we'll see that kind of expanded upon the sequel. But like I said, I, I love that they set like the the groundwork uh, for this film like so well. And then like they were so sure in that and then knew what to explore later on. But yeah, that that scene is just. Whew. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little much. <laughs> yeah, it's a little much. But to lighten the mood up, this scene is just hilarious, but also still creepy as well. Uh, gotta shout out the original Peach Fuzz theme song. Hello, my name is Peach Fuzz. I might look like I eat you up. But I'm as friendly as a rabbit. And I'd make a very good friend. Peach Fuzz, I am here. And there's nothing... <laughs> and then it's like once you realize that this was improv that because you can totally see like where the song like switches tone randomly it's like you can totally tell like he's just going off his ass like what is this peach like how many iterations of the peach fuzz song is there that's what i need to know <laughs> oh my goodness yeah such a weird scene and you know he's just so casual about everything uh, he's so casual whenever, um, towards the beginning, he, um, he looks at Aaron and he's like, hey, when you saw that Chekhov's axe outside the house, was there a small part of you that thought I might kill you with it? And like, they just like, he's like, just like said so weird. And then like, of course, this is like foreshadowing for later. And it's just like, it yeah, is. Yeah, he's like, if you're not, th if you weren't thinking that, now you are. <laughs> so. Yeah. And he's like, well, now you are. And it's like, because, I mean, this whole movie, again, is like this fear of strangers. Like, because, like, how much are you willing to trust people? Because, like, I'm a, 
I've been a bartender for 10 years, you know, so I'm a pretty outwardly social person and, and I can take strangers for what they are, you know, and I'm more of the, um, I'm an optimist about a stranger until they prove otherwise versus, you know, some other people are, you know, very, um, on guard when it comes to strangers. So it's like this one kind of challenges that of like, you know, how much benefit of the doubt are you willing to give somebody because like they may seem one way, they may seem genuine, but it's like you truly do not know this person. And like that anxiety is just ramped up the entire film. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's too good. I love uh, peach fuzz was actually the original title for this film. Oh, okay. I like it. And I would have iconic. <laughs> peach fuzz is iconic. I wish we had more people like dressing up as peach fuzz for Halloween and like more peach fuzz <laughs> cosplays. But peach yeah. fuzz is totally iconic. I think I think it'll once Creep Three happens, I think that's what'll cement uh Peach Fuzz at and I would have liked that as the title, just simply because there are so many t- movies named Creep. So many. Yeah. <laughs> so I would have I would have liked the I would have liked the title better just for a little bit more creativity, but I'm a, I, I like to nitpick titles. I don't know why. It's a weird thing of mine. A, uh, another random tidbit, the one time that we do get um, Angela, which is he says is his uh, wife at first, but then we find out it's his sister. But who knows if that's even true because we never hear of Angela again. We never hear of Angela in the, se- in the sequel either, which like kind of upsets me. Cause yeah, it, that's like the one thread left undone in this movie is like yeah, they kind of yeah left that un- unanswered. <laughs> I mean, it, it, which sucks because it's a terrifying scene. Like it's another one of the scenes that is just like sold through um the just the voice on the other end, which was voiced by Mark Duplass's wife Katie Asselton, who is also his co-star. Yeah. yeah, she was his co-star on the league, and she's been some of his other projects, and uh, she's fantastic. And uh, yeah, so she was the the voice on the other end of the phone call talking to Aaron. And that's a a super terrifying scene when, you know, we get some sort of information that we perceive to be concrete, at least. But we don't really know because we don't get any wrap up of that or mention or anything. Like, why wouldn't she have called somebody and sent the police there? exactly she's like where are you at what's the address or whatever yeah i would like to note though like this scene comes right after um aaron has knocked joseph out with benadryl and his whiskey which <laughs> so how would you drink i mean i know they took it as a shot and he also noted yeah. that his shot was larger too like aaron yeah. poorly pulled off this poison thing. so maybe i mean still managed i mean he must have known but yeah like it's such a, like a wild thing But I just wanted to note, like, until this point, like, we know Joseph is a killer because we know the premise of this movie. But, like, until this point, like, he's only been weird. It's Aaron that kind of escalates it by, like, oh, I'm going to do the first criminal act, which is, like, poisoning someone. Exactly. (laughs) Or at least, you know, putting him to sleep. But, I mean, I don't blame him at all because, like, you know, he's feeling very threatened. But, um, yeah, it's just kind of like an interest. Like, they kind of, like, have that small 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 gray area there you know (laughs) yeah and that is see and that is one thing that bryson duplass did know about the story was that it's not just joseph being the creepy one like you know aaron does some things that are you know uncharacteristic and questionable 
And it's like, like you said, like he's the first one to actually do something nefarious. So who's the actual creep here? And then as yeah. we, and then like, as we know from the sequel, Joseph likes to test people to like, kind of see what they will do. Like these are kind of his like human social experiments. Yeah, and exactly. so what if he intent, he, what if he left that out in hoping that Aaron would poison him? Yeah, you know? he gave them opportunities to do that kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> exactly, opportunities to leave, to do anything smarter, you know, and just... <laughs> and and the movie, on upon rewatch, the third act is not as strong for me, and, and I kind of chalk that up, and we'll get into that with the sequel. Drink every time, you guys, I've said, until we get into the sequel, because you guys would be done for. You wouldn't make it to that part There's of the so episode. There's so many parallels. I've never watched them back-to-back before, and so I never realized, like, how many, like, little through lines there were. So, like, yeah, I totally get it. <laughs> same, same. So, it's like, we, we again, like, he gives them, like, the opportunity, you know, and it's just like, okay, what is he going to do? And then this is, like, my angle at it. So, he's, like, always just, like, kind of trying to get in into um into Aaron and then the third act kind of weakens a little bit slows down a little bit for me just because then we shift to Aaron a little bit more Patrick Bryce fantastic behind the camera not as much he's just not as strong of a presence and then you know when we get someone to match Joseph in the sequel it comes together a little bit more stronger yeah because like once we agree because like once we do shift to Aaron a lot more like I mean you you're like begging to see Joseph and like because like he he really just brings you into the film so the the third act does slow down a smidge for me upon this rewatch but I mean overall this is still just like a fantastic movie packed into a lean 75 minutes I forgot how short the the first one Which was. Which is like perfect length, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it is really they pack it all in there, and um, the the found footage aspect works really well. And I guess to kind of bridge between the two films here, um, so we'll break down. We'll do the genre grinder breakdown of the first one, which is where we kind of we talk about the subgenres at play here and kind of get a little bit more specific into it because. Obviously, we're talking found footage films all of the month, but so let's go a little bit deeper into that where we have elements of this like kind of buddy film. It's like almost like a bromance film, you know, like the the some of these like intimate moments. But and then I mean, I wouldn't say slasher because multiple people don't die, but it is like revealed that he is a serial killer. So it's Mm -hmm. like you have that aspect to it as well and then I forget what like Aaron's job was on like what kind of filmmaker he was but even still you kind of get this like weird noir vibe especially like in the third act where they're like passing videos back and forth you know and secret packages and stuff oh yeah I didn't even think about that but that's yeah that's totally true yeah so like what are some yeah. uh, like subgenre things that stick out to you in the first creep like I was I was reading the Wikipedia article and, and like the um the films that inspired them and one that stuck out to me was Misery um which I'm like oh that's an interesting parallel because like even though Aaron wasn't like a hostage like he was with someone who just w- had those like complete personality shifts you know like one minute is like just like completely you know exuberant and in in the next is like oh my goodness this person's not okay <laughs> so I thought that was kind of an interesting um movie to compare it to huh yeah that is a very interesting parallel 
And uh, I was trying to think of like some comparisons, but like, I mean, I really didn't have too many because I mean, it does, it's like, it's so simple that, you know, it hides its influences really well and it comes off very unique, but I it mean, does. at yeah. its core, it's, it's very, very simple. So, so yeah, I, I like the, like I said, like kind of the, uh, the like strange little noir vibe to it, you know, like. I feel like Creep is if, like, Wes Anderson did want to do horror, like, it would kind of be up this alley. Because, like, I wouldn't call this a horror comedy, but it, some of the It definitely has comedic aspects. It definitely has comedic aspects, like, intended and otherwise. So, but I definitely, but it's, like, so weird because, like, it's not, you know, certain people would say this isn't overtly horror you know, I could see a lot of people calling this just a straight thriller or something like that. But in my book, thrillers are horror. So that's neither here nor there, I guess. Yeah, I tend not to split hairs. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we're all welcome here. Everyone is welcome here. And like, that's 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 the beauty of it. And that's why we love this podcast, guys. <gasps> so... At the end of Creep 1, um, we get a reveal that, you know, Joseph has been doing this for who knows how long. Um, he has just a shit ton of tapes in stacked up with different names. Some are VHS, so it's like he was in between the VHS and DVD era. You learn. I love that he has VHS movies because you're like, oh my god, he's been doing this forever, and like, oh, he's up, he's updated with the times, and now he's on Craigslist. Like, it seems like he probably used to put out like newspaper ads, you know, <laughs> like so. Right. Who knows? <laughs> uh, such a nice little ending, and yeah. they left it perfect to where. I would have been happy if it, like, I wouldn't have been upset if it we just got the one film. It was a standalone film. It functions perfectly as a standalone film. Um, But then, of course, you know, they leave it open, see how it does. It, of course, became like a, it was like a word of mouth hit. Like, I don't, because I didn't see it in theaters. I'm pretty sure the first time I saw it was, I don't know if it was straight to Netflix or not, but it, it was definitely just a word of mouth type thing. Like people were like, Hey, have you seen this movie? It's really short. Pop it on. It's really fun. It's not too scary. It's kind of funny. Um, you know, throw it on. It's, it's, uh, it's found footage, but good, you know, like it just had a really good word of mouth for it. And so they were able to do a sequel and the sequel, which came out in 2017, also directed by Patrick Bryce, same same deal, a uh, story by Duplass and Bryce, except uh, Bryce is now just behind the camera. And we have a new protagonist, uh, Sarah, played by, uh, what was her name? Oh, Desiree. I'm at Desiree Akhavan. Desiree Akhavan. Yeah, um, and she is just the perfect protagonist to match wits with uh, Joseph, who is now going by Aaron, by the way. Um, really funny that if you notice in the credits, um, when they show like the archive footage of Aaron from Creep One, they uh, credit him as Old Aaron. Old. <laughs> because I like that. <laughs> Joseph is now Aaron because um, you know, Aaron was one of his favorites. Meant a lot to him. Like the bromance was real. We don't know how much of Creep One was genuine, but I, that that bromance was real. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> so we open up to the film where we see 
Um, you know, Aaron is doing his thing. He has lured another person. He's at the stage where he has left a, you know, stuffed animal camera and, and, and then, so now this is where the movie like kind of starts like getting self-aware within itself, I guess. And he's just like, dude, I'm a killer. Like, I'm a, I'm going to kill you. I mean, it's not your fault, but it is your fault. Like, Hey, why didn't you notice this? Like I did this and you still did this, you know? And like, he like calls out like this guy's mistakes of being this unassuming stranger, you know, he's like, you didn't think that this, it was a coincidence that we were both reading infinite jest or something like that. And like, and I think he's, he says, you deserved like an 80 minute film, you know, but you didn't get it. So it kind of like it's meta at that point too. (laughs) Yeah. Cause he, he didn't get to pursue the game, you know, further on. Yeah. Likes. And yeah, calls it out like, well, shit, how am I going to make a movie out of this one? Like you had promise kid. And this is, um, uh, Aaron, he is having this existential crisis of a, as a serial killer who it's, you know, he doesn't get the thrill. People are not being as smart, you know, and he's just not getting as much out of it now. And he's about to turn 40. So, I mean, he's real stressed out about that too. And I mean, serial killers have midlife crises too. I think we learned. <laughs> so <laughs> they really do. Um, and it's funny because at the end of this month, we are going to talk about um, the Poughkeepsie tapes. And there's like some interesting parallels between Creep 2 and the Poughkeepsie tapes, especially when it comes to like, you know, like, okay, I'm getting bored, you know, and like this is. You know, Creep 2, we learn, like, not only is he disturbed, but, like, he's in it for the thrill of it, you know? Like, I mean, we kind of already did get that, that, like, he, Creep 1, like I said, was kind of like a social experiment, I guess, and, like, but he he's in it for the thrill of it, now he's getting bored. And yeah, that's scary to me, a bored serial killer. I know. Well, they, I, I think that happens to, like, serial killers in real life, which is why they are constantly upping their stakes, you know? Like, starting with the animals, moving on to, like, you know, uh, vulnerable people, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and just kind of, like, escalating more and more. Yeah, and so he's, like, In okay. a less humorous way, but... <laughs> yes, obviously, like, we get to have fun with this and enjoy it, you know, but, uh, yeah, that does happen in real life, and that is just, like super crazy to think about yeah terrifying (laughs) so then so he's like okay i need to shake it up what am i gonna do and so he puts out his craigslist like ad like usual you know and then we cut to our protagonist sarah and sarah is also a filmmaker similar to aaron and she's a youtuber she has a youtube series where she answers weird craigslist ads and films the experience and like you said earlier typically tends to be kind of odd middle-aged men but turn out to be harmless, you know? So she's doing this, and it's an interesting premise, but I guess it's not going anywhere because the encounters don't turn out as weird as she hopes they would be. Yeah. <laughs> so we have the perfect match for for Aaron because she's seeking it out, you know? She she wants to get the real shit. She wants to be Francis Ford Coppola. We're going to hear Coppola a lot. Uh, that's the Creep 2 drinking challenge is every time they say Coppola go ahead and take a shot so that's the drinking challenge shot of red wine yeah (laughs) yeah a shot of coppola's red wine specifically (laughs) (laughs) and um so she's she reads his ad about you know um it's pretty vague he's like ghosting her like when she's like trying to reach out but she so he's not even answering 
the replies to the Craigslist ad, but yet she's like, you know what? I'm still good to show up anyways. I need it. Uh, I'm super depressed and I need, you know, the goods. So I'm going to just do it anyways. So, I mean, she's even more daring and willing than Aaron is, you know, like, like, cause she's Yeah, exactly. It. Yeah. Enough to like set him aback, you know, when they meet, but I think she's such a great character to introduce because, you know, like we had Aaron in the first movie who was kind of like, you know, he had some moments, but like he was a little bland, but like, yeah, she's, you know, she's at 11, you know, she is like so empathetic and full of life and really seeking out these experiences at the same time, you know, she's depressed, like her project's not going how she wants. So she really is kind of desperate to get some like good material. So you can tell why she wants this and which I think is a great premise because like it gives him a a great character to work off of but also kind of is very believable about why she stays after he is completely crazy (laughs) so yeah like all the weirdness that like you know Aaron old Aaron was you know threatened by you know Sarah's not she's not intimidated she's like getting what she wants um out the gate Aaron comes out and he goes look I'm a serial killer. Well, actually, I'm not a serial killer, but technically I am. Um, We get the numbers. He has killed 39 people, and he's also 39 years old. So he's he wants his 40th, you know, thing to be his masterpiece, you know, so he can get <laughs> back on track, Um, I guess. So basically, he tells Sarah, I'm a serial killer. I want you to document me. Um, I won't kill you for the 24 hours. And then if you do it, then I'll kill myself. And she's like, uh, okay. Like, I mean, actually, I gave it a longer pause than she did. She said yes instantly, like as soon as he was done talking. Yeah. I mean, I think she feels like she can fill out this these people because she's met so many strange people, you know? So she's like, okay, he's he's completely full of shit, whatever. Let's yeah. see where this goes. Yeah, I don't, like, she's a little bit, you know, I guess, like, because, you know, when he steps away, she's like, what have I gotten myself into? But at the same time, like, I don't think she believes him, you know? So she doesn't feel like her life's in an immediate danger. Yeah. So like she's, yeah, she's, she's there for it. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty much thinking, um, you know, best case scenario or you know you know best case scenario he's bullshit we get you know whatever or or that's the worst case scenario best can they say or you know he's actually crazy and i'm gonna get some weird shit out of this so or, yeah you know i don't really know which is the best or worst case scenario in that situation but she's in those it. are some scenarios <laughs> yeah. yeah they are scenarios and she's in it and then again like with the parallels you know so it's like the first, like, super weird thing we get in the first one is the tubby scene. He's getting naked, about to take a bath, while another grown man films him. Super weird, right? Yeah, that's kind of his M.O. is, like, to get immediately naked and, like, see what happens. <laughs> immediately naked. And yeah. So, in this one, I mean, it's so funny because, it's like, he, like, makes a good point, I guess, on, like, why he's doing it. But then, so he goes, he's like, you know, there's a guy on guys, it's whatever. <laughs> He's like, girl on girl, you guys are free. And then he's like, but, you know, there is always that awkward barrier. So it's either we don't or we do. But, like, we're, and he, like, doesn't advance on her or anything, which is nice. Like, he literally gets naked and just shows his dick. We get Mark Duplass' dick. Like, I mean, he is so confident about it. He has his hair and the great messy ponytail that he is absolutely rocking. And he has a great dad bod. Shout out to Mark Duplass. We need more new guys in film. <laughs> and he just lets I did it... not think I was prepared for that. The first time I saw it, though, I was like, whoa, we're going there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So. 
nobody was prepared. <laughs> the best dick is a surprise dick. Like, it's always the best. But, yeah, like, it is kind of Aaron's calling card that he loves to get naked. But it's, like I said, that's, like, the first of many parallels. And I think the first time that I watched these two movies, I didn't realize, yeah, like, how many parallels from the first movie it is. Yes, same. Which I think is always a fun approach to a sequel but it's also hard though you know like because people don't want to because it's like you have to have the perfect amount of you know references and homaging the first one but then also building upon it or subverting it you know and I think they do it super well because I also just didn't notice them until this like second viewing yeah definitely I mean like I don't know if you noticed but like Chekhov's axe was there too in that part (laughs) so there were like lots of little through lines um or Chekhov's knife this time (laughs) yeah (laughs) like I think I think that's why it's like so successful is because it's like very cohesive but it's still like so like fresh and original take you know because like I actually came into this movie I was like how are they gonna do this without it being like the exact same movie and it's very successful in that yeah, because um, I'd only, I'd seen the first Creep a few times, but I've only seen Creep 2 once before today, and I mean, I really appreciated it just like a lot more this time of like, yeah, like striking that perfect sequel balance, because yeah. what uh, the mistake that a lot of sequels make is it's like, okay, let's go big, you know, we gotta go big right. now, <laughs> and I love that they didn't like bring more characters into the film, it's still mainly just the one-on-one besides at the very beginning of the movie. So it's like, we don't have like more extra, a bunch of extra characters. They didn't try to like make some bigger grand scheme or idea out of it. We still don't really know his yeah. grand scheme of anything, you know, right <laughs> by the end of the film. No, but it works very well. Cause it's like the exact same premise, but like just how differently it can go depending on the type of person. So it's like a real character study. Yeah, and, like, I mean, we see, like, you know, during the naked scene, after he does it, and it's, like, that's awkward, entertaining, or, like, and weird enough, she goes, okay, my turn, and he goes, ah, wait, what? And she's, like, well, my turn, like, look at me naked Yeah, he's completely taken aback. He wasn't expecting that, (laughs) so. Taken aback, and then again, I love how non-sexual the scene was, because he stays on her face for most of it like we see a glimpse of her I appreciated that yeah Yeah. I was like okay let's not do this yeah I was (laughs) like I thought that was really interesting like they could have made him a extra creep (laughs) and like focused on her boobs or something you know and like been like very sexual about it and like they maintain like it wasn't like a weird thing yeah they made it uncomfortable but not gross you know so yeah yeah, it was good (laughs) Uh, like I mean again like that's a skill this like the the art of yeah, surprise like dick walking, walking that line <laughs> yeah the art of surprise dick and then yeah walking the line of acceptable nudity and uh it was done very <laughs> tastefully do i say <laughs> yeah tastefully creepy nudity <laughs> yeah tasteful creepy nudity you gotta love it and then so it's like we get that parallel and then we also get like the um uh this time instead of Aaron or Joseph trying to scare Aaron now we have Sarah trying to jump scare Aaron all the time new Aaron and yeah um I love that like back and forth like or first he does it twice to try to get her she doesn't fall for either one and she's like what yeah because Aaron in the first movie like screamed every time and she's like every okay time. yeah <laughs> so yeah and, and it becomes like kind of playful between them she's yeah. like okay I'll just be I'll be on his level you know and do this because that's what he's into <laughs> jump scares so. yeah and like that's what it turns into and then that's when like 
I want to go ahead and get into the genre grinder right now for this one is that's when this movie turns into like a quirky romantic horror comedy. You kind know? of, yeah. Because <laughs> like they also, yeah, they have this like playful like back and forth and then she is still like, you know, obviously skeptical of everything he's saying as we are, you know, we don't know what's real. She doesn't know what's real, but she's along for the ride. And it like kind of, yeah. and I saw it as like this, this way of like her kind of realizing, you know, maybe not even in a romantic way, maybe even just like an amuse way that she was able to find that, like that thing that she was looking for that was missing in her documentary series by like, you know, she realizes that like, you know, as weird as the things that she's filming is, she's also looking for connection, you know, like she's this outcast as well, you know, and they don't draw a bunch of attention to it. But you can just tell from by the way that she speaks and the way that she's kind of down on herself in the when she's like filming the intro for like her other episode yeah. and like you, you, you get all these, you know, things that she is an outcast and she's also looking for that connectivity. And even though she finds it in the absolute craziest way, she's able to explore it because she doesn't know if it's real or not. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I could totally see that. They, they both kind of found what they were looking for in each other. You know, like he was kind of looking for a muse to bring back his passion. He's like the tortured artist, you know. And like you said, yeah, she's just looking for like connection and just somebody truly interesting. And yeah, she she definitely found that. <laughs> so, yeah, though, yeah, it's just like such a strange way to explore it. But that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's super interesting. And that's like. Again, kind of similar to the first one, we have, like, lots of comedic elements. And, I mean, I would say this one is even less horror-esque than the first one is. Like, they do really spend a lot on just their, like, friendship relationship that they're building between them and, like, the back and forth and kind of explaining both of their psychoses. They, like, it really doesn't get into like you kind of forget for a minute you're like kind of lulled into this weird sense and then of course the final the final scene in the woods is just like super great like this like back and forth power struggle dynamic and we get you know kind of back to the horror angle that we were being worked initially yeah it definitely culminates differently like i know you're saying in the first movie like the third act is is not as strong which i will agree um because yeah you're missing mark duplass for most of it and he's just like the you know like energy of it but it's so much more tense and like scarier whereas whereas i agree this this movie is like more about like the characters and oh it's so much funnier like i don't want to get too ahead of you but i think the next scene is when they're in the car is that right (laughs) yeah 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 Oh my gosh, like every time I've seen this movie, like this is the third time I watched it, um, I laugh out loud at that scene where it cuts to him wearing the peach fuzz mask and driving. <laughs> that is the funniest scene of the movie to me because he's like just driving down the road wearing this crazy mask and he's like, are you scared? She's like, as a passenger, yes. <laughs> like, Right, yeah, like I love that she is never like off-putted by the peach fuzz yeah. mask. Like, she's like bemused yeah like that's like the like point where (laughs) i think that's the like yeah like that scene and like then then them like eating at that diner i think is like the scene where he like really sank his hooks into her and she was like really just like like okay now i am like genuinely enamored and like 
like <laughs> intrigued by what is happening right now. And then like that's when she like kind of embraces the weirdness and like a few scenes later we have um like whenever she like jump scares him with the tape face, which is oh hilarious. My gosh, yeah. <laughs> Classic. You gotta love a good tape face scene. Yeah. It's very Pee Wee Herman, I think. <laughs> right. And then Yeah, it's it's super funny, but then it's like we have that and then you know, we have the, the hot tub scene, which it's like, you know, we got parallels, you know, we're in tubs and or a hot spring. I forget which one it was, but um, they're they're in a body of hot water together. And like and then this is like where we really get pushed to the edge of is he like for real or not? Like what is like because I mean, Mark Duplass really sells this scene on just like. Yeah him like having this like depressive breakdown you know this is another one of those scenes where as wild as it seems like his origin story i guess like kind of rang true to me you know kind of like in the first movie where he was talking about his dad like this one seemed kind of like you know of all his like crazy like from the heart truth you know that was like complete lies um (laughs) as he explains it um like this this one kind of rang true like maybe you know maybe it didn't happen exactly like that but like he's definitely thinking back to his first experience like that and trying to like recapture it and his kills you know (laughs) so like I, i do feel like there's a little truth in his you know crazy stuff he goes on about (laughs) yeah because it's like i honestly like it's like i was in you know but then it's like they immediately follow it up with like the scene where he goes extra weird and pretends to hang himself and then oh my gosh (laughs) you know and and i love how they even like they even like reference like similar lines from the first one because uh in the first one whenever he really freaks Aaron out with the, the uh, peach fuzz sex story, you know, tells him the story and then he goes, he goes, uh, what was this line? He goes, Aaron, did I freak you out with my rape story? And just like, he said it so, <laughs> casually. so casually. Yeah. Like, what well, did that freak you out? Like really? earnestly. Like, yeah. almost. <laughs> and then they, they echo it again after that scene. He go he like goes up to, he goes, He's like, Sarah, did I freak you out by hanging myself? Like, why would that freak you out? Like, come on. We were just playing around. Gosh, like, whatever. Yeah. I love the consistency. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, I wouldn't have noticed all these, like, little things if I hadn't watched them back to back. Um, But this is the moment I'm referencing that I I was talking about earlier about how, like, I think he's a little bit self-aware. Like, I think like the the level he's at is kind of out of control but he's actually a very good manipulator because like there's kind of a turn in his demeanor at this point because like the whole time he's been like yeah this girl's coming i'm gonna freak her out and then she's not like immediately freaked out so like the whole time he's like so irritable and mad and like he's off his game tantrums yeah and he's pouting and like yeah it's not working like he wants it to and like he's you know he is like a immature child you know but like he finally gets her with this hanging thing like she's finally she's like i'm done whatever and he's like okay i got her like this is what you know this is the turning point and he tells her like you just really want to you know i was just messing with you i know you just want to make connections with people and she's like yes he gets me and he's like you know that's that's what you know i i got her i got her on her level and then he starts kind of becoming the same person he was in the first movie like he's uh, again like 
charming, kind of funny. They have that cute scene where he's almost flirty with her afterwards, but you can see that he kind of like, he's like, okay, I finally cracked this nut. You know, she's, she was hard to figure out, but he, he knows how to manipulate her now. Yeah. You know, now that you say it, because like, yeah, like he, he was definitely pouting because like he's thrown off his game plan and things aren't going the way he anticipated. And then, so it's like, I feel like it was like a two, it was like a one, two punch type deal. Cause he was like, okay, I'm going to deep, deep into these feels, you know, and try <laughs> to get her with those, with the, with the emotional breakdown and yeah. then have the hanging scene. So that way she actually believed it, you know? So. You're right. Yeah. Cause she's doing that motherly thing that she was doing in the other encounters, you know, and he's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So then. Yeah, so then he gets her, you know, and that's what does it. But then they, like, kind of have their reconcile. And then so when they have their reconciliation, that's when, you know, I guess this is where it's Joe, uh, Aaron makes the mistake of letting his emotions get to him. Because I think at that point then, he then actually believed that she was, like, in he was like okay i actually think she like kind of gets me now and then that's when he like falls in love with her starts flirting with her and then the the plan shifts now to okay we're gonna kill ourselves together and this is gonna be a masterpiece together like romeo and juliet and like he fucks up he gets caught up in his feels yeah but i think she did too like i think like i was i i thought it was just him the first time and like she was kind of aware but this time i'm like no he got her a little bit you know so i think they both thought they totally got the other one and they were both missing like a little piece, you know? So like, which I don't know, is even more mas- masterful. I think how it ends up. <laughs> so yeah. If that makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah. So then it's like, we, we get to the ending and it's like, you know, this, like he takes her out into the woods and he's like trying to, he's, he's putting the charm on. He's trying to, he's all in now. He's like, you know what? Like I'm going to reuse this, necklace from the last movie i'm gonna give it to you <laughs> love how he was up front that he's like i didn't switch the pictures but it doesn't matter i didn't have time yeah he's like i wasn't sure if this was gonna work out i just i just dug this grave i didn't know if i was gonna use it yeah like he's he turns a <laughs> he's little kind bit of on the fence <laughs> he turns a little bit into a fuck boy that was a fuck boy move the the, the necklace <laughs> was a total fuck boy move but then so he's like okay so like here i'm gonna like bear my soul this is the new plan i'm in love we're doing this thing look i built our grave and then he like kind of <laughs> i i don't i i want to say it's like a reference to scream with like him being like all right like we're gonna, we're gonna kill each other and he starts stabbing himself you know he's like all right now it's your turn which i know I, I did the hard work you know <laughs> which i love that that scene is so great for some reason because like you hear the sounds he stabs himself like a good four or five times, you yeah. know, and he looks at her and goes, it's cool, right? <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, it, my God. And it raises the stakes so much because, like, every time he says something, like, wild, you don't know if he's serious or not. But, like, you can't, like, fake stab yourself. So, yeah, like, the, the stakes are definitely raised at that point. <laughs> yeah. And then so it's like he and they gives her the knife. He gives her the knife, and then I know. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, "Are you gonna do it?" And then, of course, she does not. She go ahead and stabs him again, and then, or no, she doesn't even stab him again. She just takes off running. That was her mistake. She she takes off running, 
instead and then he chases her down and they have a great off-camera scuffle where we kind of see him coming into frame a little bit back and forth in the background yeah we just hear their struggle which is good because you're not yeah you're not clear like who's winning at that point you know you're like you know i don't know what's going on (laughs) so yeah Yeah. i love i love good power dynamic shifts (laughs) like in a scene yeah um or however you say I love power dynamic shifts like in a scene like especially like in the finale where you have like these like two people that are like so evenly matched you know so it's like yeah it's going back and forth and then he thinks he gets the best of her throws her in the grave and then again he's like still I think he's genuine at this point where he's like you know what I genuinely changed my mind like she she changed everything she threw me off my game like but I was into it and like I don't know now is like but uh things happened and oh well now on to on to do it again but then (laughs) she bashes his head in she comes out of the grave which is another parallel like she sneaks up behind him you know like the end of the first movie (laughs) so yeah and which was just like so great she was like all like quiet and like he's like truly like yeah it was good it's like it was fun to watch that. You're like, come on, Sarah, come on, you can do it. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. You're like you're 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 really rooting for Sarah because like, I mean, she was just like had she was such a great character throughout the film. And I remember I like couldn't remember if she survived at the end because I remember I was like, Oh shit, did she die at the den- end? I was like, I hope she didn't. Like she was awesome. And then of course, so it's like we he bashes he bashes or she bashes him. And then takes off running. She doesn't double check to see if the job is done. Because we get a cut. And then we open back up. And Sarah's just walking around. Living her life. But she's being recorded and watched by who else. He uh, follows her for a little bit. And starts whistling. And then, boom! End of the movie. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, (laughs) that ending was way more satisfying. So, like, yeah, it... I think the slowdown in this one was in like kind of in the middle a little bit, but even still the slowdown was not nearly the, the drop that I think creep one has like, I agree. Yeah. I feel like the pacing was better. Um, yeah, yeah. This was really strong. (laughs) Yeah. And then I love that. And then, like I said, I couldn't remember if Sarah survived or not. So Sarah survives at the end, but he's, you know, stalking her. So creep three, we get round two. I know. I was about to say, like, yeah, she survived. Is she coming back for creep three? (laughs) I mean, I think she has to. And I think, I think that I would assume if I were Patrick Bryce, I would be like, oh, we found this perfect match for Aaron and let's go ahead and let her survive at the end. And then creep three is round two of Aaron versus (laughs) Sarah. And I, I like it. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very excited for hopefully when that happens. I haven't seen what the latest word was. I think just the latest word was they're like, yeah, it's happening. But you yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would hope that these movies have small enough crews to where they could have been filming this. And we, what if we got a nice end of the year pandemic treat? What if we got? Oh a, man! What if we, we got? Need it. Come on! <laughs> creep three on Christmas, maybe. One can hope. One can this hope. Year's, this year's been crazy. We need something in the good column. <laughs> so. Yeah, and you know who knows? I would, I would love to see it happen, but like, yeah, creep three, it's happening. Who knows when? But it's, it's gonna happen. Uh, so very excited for that. So before we close out the uh, episode. 
um, absolutely love talking those two films. Our little outro, we got to back, we got to step back a little bit, backpedal, because of course you are a uh, culinary queen, and we got to talk some snacks here, you know, because <laughs> um, I don't know if you know, I smoke a lot of weed, and I love <laughs> snacks. I wasn't aware. Well, <laughs> and. And so it's so funny because I asked you before the show if uh, you were a smoker and you said you hadn't in a very long time. And it's just like what you do for some of your recipes, like I would read them. I was like, she has to be stoned coming up with these like recipe (laughs) movie pairings. Like she has to be. So what is um, what are some of your favorite um, recipe uh, movie pairings that you've come up with? Oh, um. Gosh, sorry, I didn't prepare this beforehand. I had like kind of a little movie snack. Um, Let's see. Well, recently I did one for Climax, which is a movie I really loved. And I made sangria, of course. I don't know how you couldn't. Um, But like when I do, (laughs) when I do recipes for movies, like I try not to do something like straight from the movie. Like, you know, here's the food from this movie or here's the food from that movie. I tried to take like kind of um, inspiration from it, whether it's like the time period or the place or whatever, and like put a little spin on it. So yeah, I did a sangria with a spin most recently. Ooh, I love me a good sangria. I definitely uh go for that uh any place that has a good sangria. I'm always down for that. And I mean, and I love Climax so much. God, that movie is so Oh my good. gosh, it was so good. <laughs> so good. But uh yeah, you've uh I just pulled up like, you know, some of uh, the past ones. You have some uh some shrimp for uh 45 years of jaws that look absolutely delicious. I'm a big Oh, that was a fun fan. one. Yeah. <laughs> big seafood fan we have some sour cherry oatmeal porridge which sounds also delicious i'm a big uh, hot cereal fan yeah that was from uh crimson peak so yeah that was a good <laughs> Ooh, hot hot button question oatmeal is it breakfast soup yes breakfast or no? soup oh goodness um maybe a breakfast stew how about a that breakfast stew <laughs> so yeah <laughs> I've, I I like to ask people about that. I'm always like, where does it fit in? Oh, well, yeah. You know? Is a taco a sandwich? I don't know. Or is, <laughs> you know, or is soup or a soup um, dinner cereal? Who's to hmm. say? Who's to say? Who is to say? <laughs> yeah. I obviously love um, my, my edibles and stuff. Um, me and the lady, we make like um, we make edible starbursts that are super yummy. I think that would go very, that would pair very well with your climax sangria. Oh, yeah. nice! You yeah, have a little climax sangria. You have a little bit of edible starburst to send you. Off I know it's like everything's so fruity and wonderful. Yeah, that sounds perfect. <laughs> that would be that'd be really yummy. Also, um, my lady makes uh, these really yummy uh, rice crispy treats. I think we're gonna make some of those this weekend that that seems oh, nice <laughs> i think that would fit the vibe you know make some spooky um edible rice crispy treats but oh yeah <laughs> i'm just a i'm a i'm a snackaholic like i love candy i love pies pies are the best not a big cake person but i will enjoy a cake here and there i did a michael myers pumpkin pie for halloween <laughs> so Ooh. I do have a pie. <laughs> One of my signature fall dishes is a pumpkin pie cheesecake swirl. 
Oh man, this is kind of what this mm. this recipe was because it was kind of like a lemon cheesecake throughout a pumpkin. So yeah, uh, it sounds kind of like sounds kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the way I do it, you can like do it as a swirl or you can like do it as like the two layers as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, like super <laughs> super yummy. So I'm all for the snacks. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You brought two tasty treats to um, you know. We're coming off of the Halloween season, and I feel like this was a nice double feature to um, get us going into the found footage month of November. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, go ahead and shout out your social medias and anything you got working on right now. Um, Sure. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at Witchy Kitchen. But like you said, it's two B's, not a W. <laughs> and um, yeah, Final Girls Feast is our new podcast. So yeah, check that out. And thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. I loved it. <laughs> yes, I absolutely had a blast. You're welcome back anytime in the future. So thank you once again to Carrie of Witchy Kitchen. <laughs> Yummy, yummy, in my tummy. What a delicious episode to kick off Found Footage Month. Make sure you go to Nightmare on Film Street and search Carrie's name so you can find all the delicious recipes that she has made, that she has paired with various horror movies and why she did it. Um, absolutely great and some wonderful recipes for you guys to try out. And speaking of Nightmare on Film Street, while you're there, go ahead and search my name. I have a new monthly column, Stoner's Corner, that drops on the 30th of every month. It is where I talk about weird and strange movies and I get high and I try to analyze them, you know, the best way that I know how. And then I will also take those movies and pair with it a certain weed strand or an edibles recipe that I find or something like that or just some general cannabis culture knowledge. So make sure you guys are looking out for my new column over there on Nightmare on Film Street. And before we go ahead and close out this episode, I just want to shout out five-star iTunes reviews one more time. It only takes a minute to go to iTunes or in the Apple Podcast app, click five stars, write a few sweet words. It's not only going to help me sleep better at night, it's going to help the podcast reach more listeners so we can grow this ever-loving cult, I mean, movie club. So, Daddy would appreciate if you guys did that for me. It helps out the show big time. But that is going to go ahead and close out this episode of the Blade Blend Cinema Club. New episodes every Tuesday. Join me next week with extreme horror specialist Zobo with a shotgun to talk Megan is missing and long pigs. Make sure you are following the Twitter page at Bloody Blunt CC on Twitter and Instagram and my personal pages underscore Daddy Disco on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, guys, stay lifted. <laughs>